DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert-curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. You're listening to the High Octane Leadership Podcast with Donald Thompson. The world is shifting around you. None of us were trained for this changing environment. You need high octane leadership in an empathetic world before your business is swallowed alive. This podcast focuses on actionable, hands on tools you can use to become a high octane leader today and grow strong leaders throughout your organization to survive tomorrow. Join me along with global C-suite leaders, rising stars, ambitious entrepreneurs, and other leaders from across industries as we dissect, interrogate, and redefine high-octane leadership in an empathetic world. This podcast is your home for uncovering the tools, lessons, and strategies you need to push your leadership to the next level. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us. This is Bob Batchelor. I'm the Director of PR and Publications at the Diversity Movement. Today on High Octane Leadership, Don and I discuss Epidemic of Average. This is an incredibly important topic. A lot of HR representatives and leaders are speaking about this. We're going to dive right in. Thanks for being here. There's been a lot of talk in the media about quiet quitting. There's a lot of talk about the great resignation. There are all these slogans flying around, but some people are tagging this all to an epidemic of average in Mm. the workplace. And so that's something I really would love to get your take on. Are you hearing this from other CEOs? How, what, what are you seeing out there? And is quote unquote, the epidemic of average really even a thing? A couple of ways to think about it, right? Like for the last several years, the real estate market has been booming. The value of homes has been increasing significantly. So it's a question, right? What's your home worth? So one could argue that your home is worth what the market says it is, right? What amount of money you can get. But there's certain basic things that you expect in a home, right? You expect a certain level of quality depending on what level that you're paying. 
So no matter what the market says, there's a certain expectation of quality in that home. When you open up the front door, you want the front door to close all the way, right? (laughs) Right? Does that make sense? Like roof keeps the rain out. The roof keeps the rain out. There's some certain fundamental things that you think about a house home, independent of neighborhood values, that makes it a quality home, right? And I'm not talking about granite versus this or that, an acre versus a quarter acre, right? The things that expand the value, I'm talking about the core fundamentals of what excellence is, what good is. Mm -hmm. So now let's transition that to thinking about the workplace. In most jobs, the price point for an employee has gone up. But it's gone up, that doesn't necessarily mean that the employee produces more. It just means there's scarcity. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you are on the time where your value in the market goes up is you can get confused as to whether or not you did something to create that or if you are a beneficiary of something that's happening in the economy. And so what has happened is there's a lot of people in the workplace with unearned swagger (laughs) because they believe, based on what's happening in the macro economy, that they're better at their job than they are. But pendulum swing. So if while the economy is favoring the employee, you are not working on your skills, you are not learning new things, you are not going the extra mile, but you are creating a level and commitment level that is commensurate with the majority of people, then by default, you are average. Independent of what money you get, by default, based on the hours worked, the productivity you deliver, the value you contribute, If that is in the 70 percentile, you're regular. So then when the economy changes, don't be pissed off with the rude awakening (laughs) because you didn't keep your skills sharp. You didn't learn how to understand and appreciate and work with your manager, your peers, your up and down. You just said, I'm coming here to do this job. Pay me because the market says so. But what about when the market changes? Are you ready for that? So what's happening is people that are beneficiaries of an external market force think they're better at their jobs than they are because their boss right now in a talent scarcity environment is not going to tell them the truth. You're going to praise average work as excellent. You're going to coddle average performers as excellent. But if your business hits turbulence and you have to have a cut line, it's going to be performance based. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be some folks that are in for an awakening. Yeah, I can tell you this as as a former professor over the last five to eight years I was teaching. I would work hard to help students get internships and get jobs that gave me joy beyond a paycheck. But part of that is you have to review their resumes. And students would come in with their resumes and they, oh, Dr. Bachelor, Dr. Bachelor, look, you know, I'm doing this, that, or the other. Be like, okay, fantastic. They put their GPA on there. Kid comes in with like a 3.25. Now, in my day, our day, 3.25, you'd be like, ah, it's pretty good. That's pretty good. Because it was a 4.0 standard. Yeah. But they don't tell the truth anymore. And so I would say to these students, unless you have a 3.6, don't even put that on there. Because you're not impressing anybody. 
because we didn't tell them the truth. And back to a point that I know is is always been interesting to you. How are these students looking at themselves in an environment in which they're not being told the truth? They don't realize the context. So students today don't realize that half their professors are adjuncts. So as an adjunct professor, you have to give higher grades because if you get bad reviews, you're out. And you spent 10 years getting a PhD, you need a job. And the only jobs they're given are adjunct jobs. So you got to string together a career. And then a lot of professors, they're like, screw this. I was at PowerPoints and tests and let, let the thing, let it fall where it may. And students cheat. Professors using. So the, the grade inflation, so great. It's grade inflation. Let me jump in. It's another term is title inflation. Yeah. Right. That's what's occurring now. Everybody's a vice president, executive mm-hmm. this, blah, 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 this, right? And it so, has consequences. And it has consequences. And, and I'm not saying it's bad. My point, however, is who's telling you the truth about where you really are based on what you want to do five, 10 years from now? Because here's the thing that's scary to me. If early in my career I was doing just what was required, how would I ever be where I am today? Mm-hmm. If I got used to just doing what was expected for the paycheck. Now, if that's your goal and you have things outside of work you want to do and time with family, then that's fine. It's totally fine. I'm talking about the person that is on that trajectory and then is going to be mad in five years when they've not been promoted. And now it's somebody other than them. No, it's all the years you didn't practice excellence. Yeah. And it works its way through the system. I'm not going to name names, but a while ago, I got a press release draft from a name brand communications agency, name brand. It was not readable. It was unreadable. I just shook my head. I would have given this a C minus in a class. And here it is about to go out on the newswire. Anybody in the world could see this. So this this inflation that we're dealing with then you combine it with people just dropping out of the workplace, the, the baby boomers retiring, have all these open positions. People are kind of sucking up into the positions like it's just in, like in a vacuum. Yeah. So you have all these people who they don't have the skills. They and, can't think, write, and speak. It's, here's the thing, and this is the challenge, right? When everybody tells you you're great, you get a ribbon for everything. And then you work with someone that lets you know what you need to do to create excellence. You think that person's against you. You think the person trying to help you is against you. Well, they don't understand how hard I work. Most things are not effort-based. If you deliver something that is not of high quality to a client that's paying you hundreds of thousands of dollars for marketing or a diversity, equity, inclusion project, or a software development program that you're supposed to write and it's got a lot of bugs in it, right? They're not going to pay you. <laughs> they, don't, they don't care about your work-life balance initiative at your company. They don't care about your sense of belonging at your company. They care that you delivered something that wasn't excellent and they're not going to pay for that. And that has ripple effects. And it's about standards. And again, I'm not for the school like I used to be, and I used to be is like work till you drop, outwork every problem. I'm not talking about that. 
I'm talking about this new realm in our society where people don't even know how to take feedback anymore. And it's like, you have to make sure. And here's the thing with, to be really open and honest as a leader. I don't give full feedback anymore. I literally don't do it because you know what? People don't want to hear it. And so what I've decided is they don't want to hear it. They don't. They My don't students want to, didn't want to hear they it. They don't want to hear it. And so when somebody doesn't want to hear it, then me giving feedback only has downside. So what I do is I'm like, okay, what are the seven out of 10 things they're doing well? Cool. Looks pretty good. Well, Don, the market says I should make this. Mm, yeah. Uh, nah. Well, if you don't pay me this, I'm going to have to move on to someone else. You should probably do that because seven out of tens are everywhere. Mm -hmm. I can find seven out of tens everywhere in an up economy, down economy. If that's the relationship we're having, that's the relationship we're going to have. Let's take a quick break. As a black professional, I faced many challenges inherent to contemporary America. I had to fight to secure my place and fulfill my dreams. Underestimated. A CEO's unlikely path to success is my story. Whether you are a young person of color, a rising leader in your organization, or someone who may feel a little bit lost, there is a path forward that is built on grit, determination, perseverance, and drive. I've dedicated my career to developing my leadership skills and then coaching others towards success. And underestimated, you can follow my unique path, uncovering business and life lessons that can help anyone realize their dreams. You can order Underestimated wherever books are sold and find more information at donaldthompson.com. Now, back to the show. Then, this is what's cool. And it still happens today. It happened about two weeks ago in our offices right here at the diversity movement. I had somebody walk in my office and say, Don, I need you to understand something. I was like, okay, I'm open to understanding something. He said, I can do more. If you need me to learn something different, if you need me to learn a new skill, if you need me to go to a different conference, if you need to tell me something, I need your truth. Because I have goals. I have this that I need to do for my family. In five years, I want to make this amount of money. So don't you hold back with me. And this was unsolicited. I was like, who said I was holding back? <laughs> you know, I was like, but he, now here's the, the thing. I'll save all of the truth for that person because there's still people out there that want more, that want to be excellent. And so as a leader, you just got to stop, you know, I'm not, I don't want to tell people what they got to do. I'm saying what's happened to me. I am less open about feedback with people because A, they don't want to hear it or B, they're having some kind of like emotional meltdown mm -hmm. for feedback, no matter how you give it, no matter how you give it, because the softening of America is a real thing. And everybody is hypersensitive about anything that's negative. So that means I wait for times when people pull for constructive feedback. And then I, as a business leader, have had to learn how to operate with a higher degree of average. Yeah. And that's just the reality of it. People uh, used it's to. It's just the reality of it. Yeah, they used to. But, you know, people, I, I'm really interested in generational differences and gen generational similarities. And people say to me, well, how can you say these things? I'm like, I taught thousands of students. I taught for 20, almost 20 years. And I can tell you that it was different in the first 10 
than it was in the last 10. And in the first 10, the best 15% of my students did the things we're talking about. They'd show up in my office hours. They'd hound me in my office hours, wanting help, asking for help, asking versus can the rest I of their- Can I do more? Yeah. The can folks, I do more? Here's the thing about it. The people that our society idolizes in a good way, right? The um, And listen, I'm not talking about uh, Tom Cruise for his political stance or Scientology or any of that bullshit. I'm talking about Tom Cruise having sold a billion dollars of tickets for movies. I'm talking about Denzel Washington as an actor. Mm-hmm. I am I am talking about um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson as an actor. I'm talking about Kevin Hart as an actor. So I'm just use entertainment. I'm talking about Beyonce as an entertainer, right? I'm talking about Jennifer Lopez as an entertainer. Not any other political stances, their personal life, any of that. Just them providing something that people will pay money for they work because they know how competitive their craft is they know how how the odds are stacked against you to make it at a high level and so they put in work and they are demanding of people that work in with or around them and the people that our society idolizes we don't actually want to emulate and that's the thing that i find odd Right. We want things that are easier than it actually requires excellence. If you whether it's entertainment, whether it's if you've had a good meal from someone that has cooked a cake or made a steak that's perfect or we're we're hanging out with this Buffalo Trace bourbon. I don't think this bourbon was made available to us in 24 days. No, it certainly wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right? It I, was not. <laughs> I think this bourbon was aged for how long? You're the bourbon master. 10 years, man. 10 years? Yeah. Most people don't have the patience for excellence anymore. The, our entire society is microwave mentality. I worked for Grant Willard for 10 years at IQ. I was his top sales guy. He mentored me. And by the time I became a CEO, I still wasn't ready, but I was ready enough. And most people want to be the number one. They don't know how to be a number two. And it's okay. But one of the things that I do that I'll share with our audience, and I think super important, is like how do you differ yourself, right? And when I'm with people I admire, I'm on the phone call with someone uh, in business that is successful. I always try to end my meetings five minutes early. And I tell that person that. I say, listen, if we end five minutes early, would you mind if I asked you a couple of questions on leadership? Would you ask, mind if I asked you a couple of questions on success? I'm like, yeah, sure. I have this on the calendar. Like, I'd love to. Sure, Don, I'd love to. And now think about doing that over 20 years. How much smarter am I? How much stronger is my network? Because I'm different. Because I didn't ask them for money. I didn't ask them for a donation. I didn't ask them for knowledge. When I pray, and I believe in Jesus, This is my personal walk. It doesn't have to be yours, but I pray for something super simple, wisdom, strength, and understanding. And if my Lord grants me those three things, I can rock out most things. Wisdom, so I can make better and better decisions. I make mistakes. I fall down. I get up. But wisdom, strength, because the world is hard. It's not built for me to make it. I already know that. Understanding, so I'm not judgmental of my fellow man. And that I realize based on the actions of other people, there's something behind them that I might not understand. Sometimes that understand, sometimes there's evil behind it. And I do understand that. But like, but sometimes it's things I don't understand. 
but I asked for five minutes. And then over a career of 20, 25 years of doing that once a week, once every other week with folks that are willing and able to do that. And the knowledge and the relationships I've gained are priceless. Another thing I've learned, and this took me a little bit of time, is I take 15 seconds before I respond to something I don't like when I hear it. I wish we could, uh, can we replicate that somehow and uh, give it to our political leaders? Yeah, exactly. But it <laughs> saved me from saying things that could further damage relationships and not be helpful at all, right? Because winning the argument is not necessarily what success is defined. And it doesn't mean that something I heard didn't hurt me. It doesn't mean that something I heard wasn't unjust or right or wrong. But that 15 seconds gives me a moment to be intentional. How long did it take you to develop that skill? I was, that, that was, I'm 51 now. I didn't learn that really till I was 40 because I had to have enough experience of the consequences of flying off the handle versus being very deliberate. And then 15 minutes, right? So if I think about five minutes, 15 seconds, 15 minutes. What I found in 15 minutes, if, if I know someone's really successful, say they're a lawyer, I call a lawyer friend of mine and say, look, can I get 15 minutes? I just got a question. I can get so much knowledge in that 15 minutes. If I have somebody that's great in sales, hey, can I get 15? I just need 15 minutes. Something's bugging me. Somebody that's strong in technology. Hey, listen, I'm working on this product. I need 15 minutes. For a single question in 15 minutes, somebody that's an expert in their field, one, 15 minutes is not, they're not clocking it like that. Maybe a lawyer is a little bit, but like, but most people aren't clocking it like that. So 15 minutes is not a heavy ask from somebody you're developing a relationship with. And you ask them a single question in their area of expertise. They've given you so much knowledge that you value, but they have not broken an intellectual sweat. It was nothing to them, everything to you, 15 minutes. And I remember when I was writing a, a book, calling a, a world-class author, his name is Bob Batchelor. I remember asking Bob Batchelor, could I get 15 minutes? And he said, sure. A friend of mine, Bob Osmond, said, I should talk to you. He said, you're a cool guy. I said, yeah, I'll give you 15 minutes. And you said, the first publisher I had was trash. I needed to read <laughs> like you told, but, but like, But you told me, and you need to think about this, and is this your first book or one of many, right? Like you, you asked me a series of questions to think about before we were ever partnering together like we are now that was invaluable to me in that 15 minutes because that's your area of superpower. So to you, I don't know if you remember it, not, care, not, but it was nothing because you've written 12, 15 books. You've done this for yourself, for others. So for you, it was nothing. But for me, it was everything. And so what we have to figure out is what can you do with people in your network in 15 minutes that's nothing for them, but everything for you? And then be willing to return the favor in your superpower. Yeah, it's interesting you, you bring that up because I was thinking about that as you were talking. Over the years, we've only known each other for a year and a half. But I, somewhere along the way, I developed that 15-minute thing. And so over the course of my career, I started giving people 15 minutes. Now, for me, it was primarily, it made me feel good because I am a true Gen Xer. I could give a shit about most things that most people care about. I don't care about cars. I don't care about money. If you could see me right now, I don't care about how I look. <laughs> as long as my wife is attracted to me, that's all I care about. And she is. So that's great. <laughs> I'm a lucky man there. But I got something from giving people a little time. And in 15 minutes, 
I can tell you this, I've done this so many times. In 15 minutes, I could teach somebody to write. In 15 minutes, I could teach them the hardest parts of publishing. I could teach them how to write a book proposal. I could walk them through the publishing process. I can walk them through the book marketing process. All in 15 minutes because I got something out of it. So I remember our discussion distinctly. And I remember exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, Fuck, who the fuck's this guy? <laughs> I looked you up. You're, at the time, you're like CEO of Walk West. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I've been in PR and marketing my whole career. We have something in common. First book, dig that. As an author, you love, yeah, of course, you love seeing your book. You worked your ass off for it, you know. But there's nothing better than when the box of books of underestimated show up here and you're holding that book, that's the joy that I get. I want to help people. And in the career I was in as a professor, your whole career is set up to, to publish. So if I can help you achieve the thing that you've most wanted your entire life, how can I not feel good about mine? That's Christmas morning. And the thing that people underestimate about leaders is how giving they are to people that want to win at the level that they do. There's no lack of support and help out there. There's a lack of support and help for people that want to be average. But people that want to be great, you just got to knock on a few more doors, but there's people that want to help you. There's cups of coffee that people want to have because <laughs> like you said, number one, the leader wants to feel good. And anytime somebody's asking you about your expertise, it's validating, right? Your success, your perch. Yep. So there's value there. But then number two is you remember when you were on the other side of that table mm -hmm. and you were uncertain, a little bit unsure, but you were going for it anyway. I can be like my mentor. You, you have a mentor and you love that person like you don't love anybody else. And you're like, oh, now I'm the mentor. Oh, oh, wait, wait exactly a second right. here. So five minutes, ask some questions at the end of your business calls, shorten your meetings. Because like if you have an hour meeting, what's the difference between an hour of you jibber jabbering and 55 minutes? You might as well get some learning no matter what. And I was in sales and people love that. Because So I was like, listen, man, whether you buy anything or not, whether we close a deal today or not, can I get five minutes at the end of this call? Because I want to ask you a couple questions because you're super successful and I want to be super successful in it. I, I never had anybody go, no. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know what I mean? No. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine what kind of dick I would have been if somebody, somebody, a professor came up to me and yeah, like, like, I really am interested. I, you know, I really want to write this book about the, the you know, this, <laughs> this, this movie and I'm not sure where to start. Can you help me out? And I'm like, nah. nah nobody does it. I mean, come <laughs> on, man. You know what I mean? But like, but it's, but dream chasers want to support other dream chasers. I think for this segment, like that's really the, the crux of it, right? And we're addicted, attracted, persuaded to be a part of someone's journey, right? That wants to win in a, in a big way. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of High Octane Leadership. Don and I had a great time bringing you this episode. And for more information, check out either of us on LinkedIn. And if you want to know more about Don, jump into his book, Underestimated, A CEO's Unlikely Path to Success. It's Don's leadership memoir, stories from his life, and more that you'll really find interesting. If you want more information on how to turn your workplace into a workplace of excellence, check out the diversitymovement.com. Thanks for listening.